Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Donnie Greens. Uh, he's the founder of Finest Foods. He's got a YouTube channel called Donnie Greens, and it's spelled D-O-N-N-Y-G-R-E-E-N-S. So we're going to talk to him about his uh, indoor grow activities. So Donnie, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your background and what got you into doing this. Oh, well, I suppose it technically started when I was a really young dude in my grandfather's garden, walking through the aisles and just picking string beans off the vine, popped them in my mouth. That was the first time I ever experienced fresh food like that. So that's when it all started. But fast forward to my sophomore year in college, I was introduced to an urban farmer named Will Allen. And I was really interested in the methods that he used in farming. It was all organic closed loop, sustainable agriculture. I found it really fascinating. So that kind of re-sparked my passion for agriculture. Graduated from college. It was basically just like, all right, I want to work for myself. I've known that for a long time. What am I going to grow? What can I grow that I can actually start a business right now and be a farmer? (laughs) So I was scanning the internet, searching and searching and searching for years even. And then finally, the video started coming out. Hey, you can start a business growing microgreens. So I was super pumped, was so excited. I just like knew it was one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is going to change my life. This is it for me. And I guess I was right. So I quit my job at the time, invested $3,000, which was really all I had into my business. And I started it out of my uh, parents' basement, actually. Oh, wow. And why microgreens? Why not uh, other vegetables or other types of things? Well, great question. And this is, this is actually what led me to realize that microgreens was the avenue into entrepreneurship and, and the avenue into farming was that you really don't need much money, much time, or much space to be able to start the business. So that was perfect for me. I barely had any money. You know, those, that $3,000 was all I had. I had this tiny, like 10 foot by 10 foot space in the corner of my parents' basement. And it really doesn't take up that much time to actually grow the crops because once you set them up, you know, they, you kind of have to wait, (laughs) they're just sitting there growing. So it's pretty cool. It's a really cool business model and I've loved it. I've been doing it for six years now and it was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life was getting into microgreens farming and the crops grow really fast as well. So that's another great benefit 
to doing this from a business standpoint, the crops grow really fast. So it's a low, it's a really low time turnover. And then um, you can get that product right out the door and start getting money in the door. So it's cool. Did you need any special um, licensing or health permits to do microgreens or are they in a, like a protected class in terms of um, farming? So the law says that anything you grow on your property, you're allowed to sell from your property. So it doesn't really say inside, outside. If you sell it from a farm stand in the front, it doesn't say if you can't you know, deliver. So this is what I've gone off of is that I'm basically just an urban farmer. I'm growing food on my property, organic produce, and I'm selling it to my local community. And that's the way it goes, nice and simple. But over the years, I have gotten into like more on the certification side and things like that. For instance, I got in touch with the local department of agriculture and I just let them know what I was doing. I was growing food for the community and how I was doing it, you know, growing inside and all that. And I just let them know like, yes, I've been doing this. I just want to make sure like I'm doing the right thing and that I am not breaking any laws, stuff like that. Cause it was a concern of mine when I first started. And what they did is they just came to my farm facility. And this was after I was in my parents' basement. This is when I was in actual farms because I was only in my, in my parents' basement for about nine months. Um, so once I was in an actual farm, yes, I, I did have the Department of Agriculture. They came, they did a walkthrough. They made sure I had hot water, you know, a triple sink and all that type of stuff and made sure that it was a safe facility. Okay. So that wasn't too bad, right? When they came, it was, you know, you were in compliance. It wasn't too hard to do. Yeah, no, it's easy. It's simple. And I knew beforehand what I had to do. It was, it's really about that hot water coming into the sinks and having a triple compartment sink. So when you grow the microgreens, do you package them in like nice clamshell packaging? Do you wash them? Do you, what do you do with them once they're grown? Like how do you harvest them and what do they look like to get them to the customer? Yeah, so I don't do any washing of the crops. Once you start washing the crops and start labeling them like ready to eat foods, then you start getting into the Department of Health rather than Department of Agriculture. So you really wanted to stay in the Department of Agriculture where you're actually selling produce, raw agricultural produce, rather than a ready-to-eat product like a salad that was prepared or like a coffee that was prepared versus the coffee beans. So that's the big that's the big difference there. Okay, so so what will you do? You'll clip them off of their, uh, their roots and then you'll put them in like, let's say a clamshell package, but it's labeled such that, you know, people need to... Uh, I mean, how is it labeled so that people don't think it's been washed or people do the right thing with it? Do they need to wash it once they get it? Or are there any recommendations on there? How does it work? Yeah, so I'll, I'll have my customers ask. And most of my customers are direct to consumer. So I, I deliver these uh, microgreens all around my local community and deliver it right to their homes. I'm in a few health food stores in the area, but most of it is direct to consumer. So I do get that question from time to time, like, do I have to wash this? And what I tell them is legally obligated to tell them to wash them because they are a raw agricultural product, like a tomato or a cucumber. But with that being said, you know, I never wash them. Most of my customers don't wash them and they're harvested above the soil. So they are inherently very clean when they're harvested and they get harvested right from the tray and they go right into the plastic clamshell, uh, gets the lid and then right into the fridge. So it's a clean process and it's a safe process. Okay. And what do the customers use them for? I know it's a stupid question in a way, but you know, do they just put them on sandwiches? Do they make smoothies out of them? Like what have you seen people do with them? No, that's a great question. That's actually one of the big responsibilities as a microgreens farmer is to educate the customers in eating it. 
So you can do pretty much anything with them, but my favorite way to describe it is this term called piggybacking, where you add it to whatever else you're eating. So if you're eating a soup, you add it to your soup. If you're eating a salad, you add it to the salad. Sandwich, same deal. So you're really just adding it to whatever else you're eating it, whatever else you're eating. That way it enhances the nutritional value. And some of them taste really, really good as well. So how often do you have them? Or are you sick of them? Is it like the the cobbler's son with no shoes? (laughs) It's funny. You know, I go through phases. I'll go through phases where I'm eating a lot of them, adding them to my smoothies, just eating them every day. And then I'll go through phases where I just don't really feel like eating them. And it is weird. It's weird being around something so much. Like I've grown over 10,000 trays just myself potentially even much more. So I've been around these crops so much that it's like, sometimes you don't even want to see them as beautiful and nutritious as they are. Sometimes I just don't even want to look at them. Yeah, I figured. What do your customers say? Or what have you experienced when you start putting them on everything that you said, you go through one of the periods where, again, you're using them a lot. Do you feel better? Or they're just tasty and that's it? Or, you know, what changes for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, It really depends the degree, you know, the degree in which your health is at and then the degree in which you're eating them. So I have customers who are ordering like $200 worth a week and they're juicing it all and getting like massive amounts of quantities of this stuff into their body. And um, they're usually on some sort of healing journey and dealing with some sort of chronic illness. And uh, it helps them. It helps them get nutrients into their body so their body can do the functions that it needs to do. So I've had customers with cancer, unfortunately, that we've put them on a weekly plan, just getting specifically broccoli, the broccoli microgreens because of their sulforaphane content. And lo and behold, you know, after a few months, their cancer's in remission and then it's gone. And I'm not saying it's, you know, just because of the microgreens, they're doing other things involved. So, but we, whenever we have a conversation about it, they do think and feel that the microgreens did play a role in their healing and helped them to heal. I've had people who are on maybe like $50 a week. I have this one guy in mind who is a big Grateful Dead fan. He followed the dead around, loves drinking beer. And he's a, he's like an accountant now. And his wife was telling him that he needs to slim up. And she pointed him in my direction. And he started eating the stuff. And he was adding it to his smoothies every day. You know, and he was doing some other things too, you know, watching his health a little bit. But along with putting a bunch of these foods into his diet, he lost a bunch of weight. He said he's feeling a lot better. And the most common thing that I find, you know, when my customers first get on the product in those first few weeks, if they're eating it consistently, they'll just naturally feel a little bit better, a little bit higher energy levels. You know what I mean? Just a little bit, that little extra oomph, they can feel it. Most supplements are taken on faith and could take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. No, that's good. Even if it's something, that's, that's great. I'm sure it inspires them to want to order more from you because they feel good. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you find people to to buy this stuff from you? Like what was, you know, I don't want you to give away all your secrets. If you can't say it's okay, but how did you find customers to, to deliver this stuff to? Well, when I first started, I was basically told it was recommended to sell to chefs. So I was growing these varieties. I was walking around my local town in Huntington Village here on Long Island. And I was walking, I was arranging meetings with chefs. I was showing them the product, dropping it off. 
trying to reconnect with them and get them to place an order. It wasn't the best experience. Uh, you know, they, they seemed kind of finicky. I had this experience where there's this one guy who was super pumped. He was like, man, if you can grow cilantro, the whole town will be buying this stuff. I finally learned how to grow cilantro and then I brought it back and he was like, yeah, I don't really want this. It was just like, what the heck is going on? So what was also happening is as I learned about this business model, I was learning about health and the health benefits of living foods being sprouts, microgreens, and wheatgrass. So also realizing that business was really about value exchange, I figured, hey, the real value of these crops is in their health benefits, right? Like the whole world is, you know, not in the healthiest way. And a lot of people are really taking a step back and looking at their health and focusing on it. So I figured, man, why don't I just focus on the health niche rather than, you know, restaurants and using them as a garnish on a plate. So I was doing a lot of farmers markets in the beginning, just getting the word out about my company. And I knew that I wanted to make it as convenient as possible for my customers to get these foods into their diets because it, you know, it was going to be a challenge. I was trying to get people to eat some of the healthiest foods on the planet. They were vegetables, you know, not the easiest job in the world. So uh, I knew it was important to make it convenient. I started the home delivery subscription model. And then I was recruiting people from the farmer's markets into the home delivery subscription where they would get it every week delivered to their door. And I kind of built it up from there. I walked into quite a few juice bars and health food stores. Uh, my products are sold in quite a few places here on Long Island. And uh, But yeah, it's mostly direct-to-consumer home delivery. And I like that better because then you can establish a more direct and deeper relationship with your customers. Um, you can get more direct feedback. I don't really know who's eating the product when it's going to a health food store and then getting taken off the shelf. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's really cool. And again, if there's any problems or anything like that, good or bad experiences, they can tell you directly and you can fix them. So that's exactly. a real short loop. Yep, absolutely. How long have you been doing this? Were you selling direct to consumer and, and what have you noticed about it over time? You know, How has it evolved for you? Well, I've been doing this since 2016 is when I started my business. So it's about six years. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about business. I've learned a lot about building systems, a lot about, you know, analyzing those systems and making them more efficient. Learned a lot about marketing and sales, talking, talking to people. And then I actually decided around year two or three to venture off onto a side project and start educating people on what I had learned because I just felt so grateful that I wanted to be a farmer so bad and I want to be an entrepreneur so bad. And then finally I found something that worked and it's not like it was the most difficult thing in the world. Like running a business and creating a successful business is definitely one of the most challenging things. And for a first timer to be able to start a microgreens business, you know, first shot out of the gate and have it work, you know, that was very exciting for me. And I knew that there was other people out there that wanted to work for themselves and do something in agriculture. So I started educating people online, very much so on YouTube. And I got a decent following on YouTube and a ton of students. I created a Facebook group where everybody can help each other called the Microgreen Support Group. And that's been growing really well. And I love I love being able to give back and help other people set up what I've been able to set up. And um, you know that's really fulfilling for me. And I've been able to learn a tremendous amount through my students as well just doing consultations and learning from others in the group. You know, there's only so much I can grow with my own two hands, seeing the experiences of other people and the problems that they run into and stuff. It's been really eye-opening and I've been able to learn even more through others as well. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. 
I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Yeah, that's really cool. You said your first farm was in your parents' basement, but what does your farm look like now? Is it in a house? Is it in like a commercial space? So where is it? So I've really come full circle here. Remember my grandfather that I talked about in the beginning of the call with the string beans? Mm -hmm. So I'm now living in his house that he built back in 59. This is kind of like my dream house. I always wanted to live in it. I'm hoping to buy it. I'm looking to build a farm in the basement of this house. But how it happened was it started in my parents' basement. I just needed a spot to grow. They were generous enough to let me uh, section part of it off. Everything was working well. I had gotten all my money back on my investment and I knew I had a working business model. So I moved into an old rundown deli that was nearby uh, in my local neighborhood. It had been run down for 10 years. So I contacted the landlord, the owner, and I was like, hey, uh, can I fix up your, your deli and grow microgreens in it? And he said, sure. So I moved in there. He gave me a good deal. I fixed it all up and built a farm in there. Within a year, I was out of space. So I had maxed out 10 of these Metro racks. I was doing 100 grand in revenue and I had no more space. So then I moved into another farm, which was kind of like this big building, like on the property of another organic farm that mm -hmm. was starting to become operational again. So I was working out of there for a while. It was a beautiful space, big, big building, tall ceilings rafters and all that. And that's when I started my YouTube channel. It was in that space. And I was operating out of that space for a while. And then some things didn't end up working out with the landlord. Usually when I move farms and go space to space, I'm able to not stop my deliveries and have everything switch over uh, very seamlessly. But in this case, it didn't work out that way. So right now I'm actually in between farms. My whole farm is packed up in my garage right now. And we've been working on getting all this stuff my grandparents' stuff out of the basement. So that way I can do a build out down there and have my final farm in the basement of hopefully my future home. And that's what I like the best because being able to work out of your own house, it's awesome. Um, you know, you have no commute time. It's right downstairs. You can go and check on anything whenever you'd like. Uh, it's really cool. So, so soon uh, you'll buy the house with microgreens money. That would that's be really exactly cool story. Right. That's hope. exactly right. I'm going to be able to pay the whole mortgage payment with the profits from the microgreens business in the basement. Yeah, that's excellent. I guess you're growing them hydroponically. Are you growing them in soil or how are you doing it? So technically, very technically, yes, I am growing hydroponically, but it's not how you would expect it to look like because I'm using a potting mix. So although there's technically no soil and no nutrients in this potting mix, it's considered a hydroponic growing medium. So technically it's hydroponic, but if you were to look at it, it looks like potting mix. It looks almost like soil. Uh, so that's what I use. They're grown in these 
very shallow 10 inch by 20 inch trays where there's a tray with holes in it that sits inside a tray without holes. You put the growing medium in there, you flatten it out and press it down. So it's a nice flat surface for spreading the seeds across. Then you spread the seeds across the growing medium and you water them and then you stack them. And that's the germination process. You let you leave them stacked for about three days and then you pull them out of the germination process and you put them under lights and then you water them once a day until they're ready for harvest about a week later. Oh, yeah, that's pretty quick and simple. Um, have you yeah. tried other major seeds like cocoa core or just water to grow them in? And you know, like, why did you settle in on the potting mix? So in the very beginning, I was using an organic soil, maybe an organic potting mix. It was some crappy mix from Home Depot. And I quickly moved off of that. I started working with like better suppliers. I started getting advice from some good mentors. And I got pushed in the direction of my ProMix MP Organic is what I've been using. And I've just, I've found that stuff grows really well in it, uh, really, really well. And I've used things like the grow pads and the grow mats and the crops just don't grow as well. Like just sim- very simply put, the crops don't grow as well. They're not as high quality. They are more finicky for things like mold and stuff like that. They're easier to overwater. And the yields aren't as good either. Like everything is just going to be growing so much better for you in that potting mix. And all of the best growers, you know, commercial growers, they're u- they're using some sort of potting mix or some sort of blend that they're putting together. What Should about work- using like a, just a, you know, a system of just water with nutrients in it? And have you tried that? I mean, you could use water with nutrients in it and use it with the grow mats. You could even use like screen mats people are starting to use and use water with nutrients. But um, no, I recommend just using a potting mix. And also like when I've set up my business, I was really heavily focused on efficiencies. I was focused on my systems for growing. Uh, So all my systems are built out to be highly efficient and highly resilient. So that's another reason for using the soil. What are some of the things that have gone wrong? You said mold and and I guess low yields, but what else about them being finicky over water? You mentioned a few things altogether. Yeah, so if you overwater, you're going to run into some problems. Your plants are going to essentially like stop growing. If you severely overwater, they'll just like stop growing so fast. They won't be able to really like keep growing because they're getting suffocated. Then you're also going to run the risk of getting like mold on the base of the crops and like around the growing medium because naturally some of the seeds aren't going to germinate and the natural cycle of life, like the molds and the decomposers come in to break down dead material. So you have all these growing crops, these living crops that are growing and there's some dead material from the seeds that didn't sprout that are going to start breaking down. So when you're growing in the, in something like a potting mix, like it's just a healthier environment where it's not going to become an issue, but with things like grow mats and even cocoa coir, because cocoa coir, if you don't mix it with perlite, it's going to retain water very, you know, too much. And it's going to become very waterlogged and just create some of these issues that we're talking about. So too much water, you're going to run into mold, lack of growth. You can start getting some pests in the farm and like little fruit flies. Uh, If you underwater and the crops get dehydrated, they'll fall over and your yields will get greatly reduced. But the chances of completely losing a crop are usually due to overwatering. And then you get the mold and the damping off and stuff like that. Hmm, Okay. And what what kind of um, vegetables can you grow to microgreens? I mean, we didn't even define that. I'm sorry. So as I understand it, maybe I'm wrong, but a microgreen is 
many vegetables that you would grow, but they don't get to the fruiting stage. You just, you're growing them for maybe the first five, 10, 15 days. And these, these sprouts or shoots is what the microgreen is considered. Is that accurate? Yeah, definitely. So they're, yeah, they're a vegetable that's grown out to be in the specific stage of growth where it's the certain set of leaves. So when you have a seed, you have like this casing, right? And then inside that casing is the seed that's actually going to germinate. And when that seed germinates, um, it splits in half and those two halves of the seed become the first two leaves. And those first two leaves are called the cotyledon leaves. Then as it keeps on growing, the next set of leaves are going to start to come out from, from right between that first set of leaves, the cotyledon leaves. And the second set of leaves is called true leaves because they look like what the plant truly looks like. When we see plants like adult plants and we see the leaves, like that's how we identify them. The first set of leaves often look very different from those set of leaves. So it's technically defined when that first set of true leaves first starts emerging or pushing through those cotyledon leaves. Okay. And what kind of uh, crops have you found are the best to grow as microgreens? Well, the easiest to grow, I would say, is probably radish. Um, it's the quickest to grow. It's very resilient. You're not, you know, you're not going to have too much trouble with it. Broccoli is another great one, but they're going to be a little bit more tricky than radish. They're a little bit more prone to overwatering, but they have extreme health benefits and they're also very tasty. Then you have things like pea. So pea are very easy to grow, but they do require an additional step in the process. During the germination process, you should soak your peas. So you got to soak them before you put them in the tray. Sunflower are very popular, especially in the health world, but they can be very tricky to grow. And the seed lots are inconsistent for sunflower specifically. So if you can get your hands on good sunflower seeds, then you have a good shot at growing them. But if you have bad seeds, it's going to be really difficult to grow those sunflowers. But there's a whole bunch of other crops, amaranth, arugula, beets, chives, celery, cilantro. There's a lot of different varieties you can grow. You're probably scarred into not growing cilantro from what you said, or do you grow it now? <laughs> I was scarred for a while. I stayed away from cilantro for a long time. But then as I started just becoming a naturally better grower, I started doing a few test trays and getting it down. And it was much easier to grow after I had a few years of growing under my belt. You know what I mean? So mm. now I can grow cilantro, no problem. So how many different things do you grow? Like, have you found that the more, the better, or is there a subset of, let's say five or three that you grow or what did you settle in on? Yeah. So definitely not more, the better. I, I recommend to all growers starting out that they start with just a few varieties. I started with about three or four varieties and I kept those varieties the whole way through, never really added much more of anything else. So I have broccoli, pea, radish, and sunflower. Then for a while, I was growing like a mix that had like six or seven different things of it in there. I stopped growing that mix because the seed quality decreased and I didn't really like the yields. The crops were coming out a little bit wet as well. So I didn't really like those seeds anymore. I stopped. I discontinued that one. And I've always grown wheatgrass from the start as well. But that's it. I never, you know, kept on adding all, you know, tons of varieties. I kept it simple kept it easy. And I think that's definitely played a role in the success of my business model. I think starting with a lot of varieties, you can definitely get overwhelmed. And you're also going to be overwhelming your customers with choices because especially for customers who don't really know what these crops are, don't really know what they like or what they want. If you overload them with a bunch of options, they're just going to get uh, overwhelmed. So I like the idea of just a few options. 
yeah, that makes sense. So is the taste on all of them very different? The taste is definitely different, but they're all in like the same like bucket of of plants. You know what I mean? Like you could say that all fruits taste different, but all fruits, you know, fruits are fruits. You know what I mean? Like right. vegetables, they're vegetables, but they all taste different. It's kind of similar for microgreens. Like they all taste like these uh, really fresh, clean, you know, young crops, but they all have like their different, unique flavor profile even though they kind of feel the same in your mouth and that type of thing. Gotcha. And what, what are your main inputs? I mean, you know, water, uh, this potting mix. I don't know if you make your own seeds or you just buy them, but like, what are the main inputs for you to do this? It's really simple. So you have your trays that you're growing in. Those typically sit on top of racks, uh, like these Metro racks. Then you strap on lights to the racks. You strap on grow lights. And then, so you're using electricity for the grow lights. Then you put your growing medium into your tray. So whether you're using a mat or you're using a potting mix like me, that goes into your tray. Then you add your seeds and you're buying new seeds every time. You're not growing your own seeds. And you're also using fresh growing medium every time as well. So everything's fresh, new, bought fresh each time. And then you're using some water to get it wet. And then they're going on the shelves and then you're watering every day. But I will say there's very little waste water because the crops are taking up all of the water that you're giving them. And really the only water waste is when you're soaking the seeds. So uh, there's a little bit of wastewater there. But if you're strategic about it, you could actually use that water that you're soaking the seeds in and you could use that to water outdoor crops. So okay. yeah. do you produce your own seeds or you just buy them? No, no, it's really not effective, effective to produce your own seeds. Being like growing seeds is a whole nother game. And uh, that's why there's a lot of people who specialize in seed farming. That's why we have a lot of seed farmers and they specialize in producing specifically high quality seeds because you could be growing out vegetables for a fruiting stage and getting high quality fruits and vegetables, but you might not be getting necessarily high quality seeds. Also like climate plays a big role in your ability to produce high quality seeds. There's a lot of factors that go into the seeds and the seeds are important. So I could, you know, I'm sure there's growers who have tried to grow, you know, wheat or whatever out, out in their yard and gotten the seeds from it and grown something with it. But to be able to produce the amount of seeds that you would need to actually run your operation, it's just, no, it, it wouldn't work. Hmm, okay. Does anyone do microgreens outside or most climates wouldn't support it year round? Is this really something that's uh, geared towards doing it indoors? It's both. You can do it outside or you can do it inside. You know, they have their advantages and their disadvantages. I've always grown inside, but there are plenty of growers who grow outside and things like hoop houses. And some of the biggest growers do grow outside and take advantage of the sunlight. You can potentially reduce your costs there by utilizing the sunlight versus your, your lights and your electricity. But you're definitely going to be using up more space because if you're using sunlight, you're not going to be able to grow in the vertical way that most indoor growers uh, do grow. So, hmm, okay. So, are you thinking of expanding to any other types of crops or microgreens? You're happy and you're just going to keep working on it. And are you planning to grow it and get more customers, or where do you want to take things or go more yeah, to the educational I mean, side? We're definitely going to build out this basement and get comfortable and you know see how it feels just to be operational from the basement. Um, so we'll do that for a few months, but I do want to start working with just a few restaurants, a few nearby restaurants, just simply because I think it would be fun. 
then, you know, add a few more customers. I might change up the business model a little bit. I've always had aspirations of growing mushrooms. So I still mm. do have that in the back of my head, growing mushrooms as well. But before what I grow mushrooms, are they hard to grow? Or? I've grown them before, but it's about learning the nuances of, of growing. Mm. You know, every, everything grows differently. And I had some minor success in growing mushrooms but um, setting up that type of environment, it's pretty much the opposite environment that you want for microgreens because microgreens, you want low humidity. Uh, the mushrooms, you want high humidity. So mm. I just really have to nail down a grow space for the mushrooms and really figure out how to do the grow space properly, get the environment set up for them. I think that was my issue in the, in the last one. But I have successfully grown some, some mushrooms. So that's going to be something to experiment with into the future. Now that I have this property, I've never had a property. So that's actually played a big role in my decisions and what I grow. Mm. A lot of sprouts and a lot of microgreens. So now that I have a property, I want to start growing outside. We put in some raised beds here and we've been experimenting with that. There's a big garden area. I'm starting to do wood chipping. I'm starting oh, cool. to you know, plan out the whole property. I want to get into permaculture. I planted a bunch of blackberries. Those are doing great. I've been able to grow some cucumbers and stuff this season. We got some strawberries. So that's all fun. I would love to do some mushrooms on logs outside. That would be a blast. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm probably going to implement on the business side, though, is edible flowers. That's definitely something I really want to get into and have that going in the farm in the basement. So start off with the microgreens, get comfortable, start experimenting with edible flowers, maybe eventually one day getting get into the mushrooms. But what I will say is that my passion for being self-sufficient or like, I guess my desire for being self-sufficient and my desire to grow food kind of happened around the same time. So what I've realized as time goes on is that running a business, there's a certain pressure that comes with it and a certain sort of obligation and responsibility that's a little bit different than growing food for yourself. And I'm not saying that it totally takes the joy out of it, but what I am saying is that I am going to be careful in what I do for my business versus what I do for my personal use. Cause I really have a strong desire in growing a lot of what I'm eating. I want to be growing myself. So, and that's, I see as a separate thing from the business side. So, you know, just uh, being careful there and, and thinking about work-life balance and thinking about my revenue streams and where I want my money to be coming from versus where I want my hobbies to lie. So just something that I'm thinking about into the future. Okay, very good. So where can people uh, find out more about you? Like is the YouTube channel, Dining Greens, and you mentioned consulting and, you know, what would you like people to uh, follow up with if they're interested in this, this fall? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different resources online. I have a bunch of different stuff that I could send you to, but I would say the best place I could send you is go over to YouTube, type in Donnie Greens, subscribe to my channel and just watch my videos. You could start at the beginning and just binge watch all my videos. I find people like to do that and you'll learn a tremendous amount of information for free right on there. And then the Microgreen support group on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, that's great. We're up to over 33,000 members now. It's a really positive group, really helpful group. So that's awesome. I would be a part of that if you're interested in this stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be updating my website into the future as well. So donnygreens.com. I'm planning on having a tremendous amount of various resources for microgreens farming and even just getting organized in entrepreneurship and in life. So donnygreens.com will be a great resource as well. And that's also where you can find consulting. Excellent. Well, Donnie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Remember, before you go, 
to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.